I think still to this day, it's been how many years now, like 10 or more, like you get me talking about SOS and like, there's just this light that happens because it felt, it was such a big part of my life. And I don't know how to explain it other than just like, it felt like I was meant to be there and meant, and, and doing something that was important. And I just found so much meaning. And I don't think many jobs have that same thing. And as much as I love theater, I've been doing theater since I was like four or five. Going back to just theater, like where it was not an SOS format, where I also felt like I was helping people, actually didn't itch that um, for me. Like it didn't quite get that meaning spot that really spoke to my heart. So um, yeah, when I talk about it, I'm still like excited and like, I, I'm glad you asked me to come chat because uh, I like talking about it. So. This is the Hypothetically Sound Podcast. Hosted by Alec, Randy, and Xavier. Where we take a hypothetical look at the world around us. Exploring the what-ifs, maybes, and how-comes. Join in on the unfiltered, raw, and real conversations as we explore the world around us. Welcome back to Hypothetically Sound. Hope you guys are having a wonderful day. Thank you for joining us in another installment of the SOS series that I'm doing. I hope you guys have enjoyed it so far. Uh, today, it's probably going to be one of the more unique uh, experiences that uh, anybody in SOS has had. She started as an actor, went on to be intern like myself, and then came back to the company as a director uh, after going to college and everything. I am talking about Miss Jenna. Uh, that's not your actual last name anymore because you're married. And I feel- <laughs> uh, Jenna now, so... Yeah. Hi. How are you? I am doing good. I'm glad and I appreciate you uh, taking the time to do this. I know you are very in a very busy person. Like you have I mean- kids, you have a husband, <laughs> you have your own social media that you run. So oh, I know you're you. definitely a very busy person. So I take appreciate you taking the time yeah. to uh, do this. Um, so, so far I've talked to Carly, I've ca- talked to Shay. Uh, each have their own interesting perspective. And like I said, you have a very unique uh, perspective. And before we get too far, just uh, give a short, I guess, history of your time in OS SOS. Ooh, okay. Um, so I joined the summer before my junior year, which I think was the year 2000, 20 years ago. <laughs> I swear I'm not old. Um, okay. And it's funny because I actually had no idea what SOS was, but my mom was a teacher at a local uh, middle school, high school, and saw flyers around and knew of kids doing the program. And so she was like, you're going to like this. I was like, all right. And so like, I had done other theater auditions in the area. So she just took me to the playhouse and there was an audition going on. I didn't really know much about it, but you know, actors, you show up there, you do your best audition. and like. Honestly, it was kind of intimidating um, because, like, everyone kind of looked like the popular crowd. <laughs> like, and so I I had the last year of Wendy and Tanner, who I think were the one of the longest director sets of people. Like, they mm-hmm. were there, I think, 10, 8 years. Um, And so I got to work under them and then um, all the director transitions that happened over the next couple years as well. And um, all I remember about the audition actually is that um, we were doing improv games and I had made some wisecrack or like improv crack about like uh, a royal throne, but like with toilet paper, like I just basically made a potty joke. (laughs) And then, like a throne, you know, and it, once you know me, like, uh, I like poop jokes. It's like I'm 12. So <laughs> I uh, remember that pretty strongly. And then, um, again, it was pretty intimidating. And um, I and I've gone public with this before, but it doesn't come up really often anymore. But um, I was actually just coming off like a really hard time in my personal life where um the year before I'd actually had a suicide attempt and was dealing with a lot of like depression and really bad stuff at home. So like home didn't really feel safe. 
I felt kind of isolated and alone at school, um, in part because um, after the attempt, I had asked somebody at school for help. And they basically were like, because it was through like AOL Instant Messenger, but they were (laughs) like, I was like, yeah, uh, I did this. I think I took too much. And they're like, well, that's your problem and signed offline. And then um, the next day had told everybody at school. (laughs) So I had like gone to the hospital and like done all that. And thankfully I was okay, um, physically anyway, and had to go back to school in that environment. And so I was kind of muddling my way through school and figuring stuff out and still dealing with the stress at home. And so like, honestly, I think SOS was one of the best, most important things that happened to me at that time, because more than anything, I needed a community where I could speak openly kind of about what I was going through. Because with a lot of other kids, especially high schoolers, they they don't want to have the language to really discuss what's happening if you're struggling with mental illness or really bad stuff at home. Like a lot of those topics are so heavy that people don't want to talk about it or it pushes people away because they don't know how to handle it. Whereas like I walked into SOS and they were like educating people on like depression and suicide and they were talking about like divorce and whatever stuff. So I felt like, oh, this is a safe place for me now. And um, the thing that's funny is um, Luke is one of my best friends now. He ended up being um, the other artistic intern with me after I graduated. So we did that whole year together, just the two of us. Um, But he used to say like, oh, Jenna, when I first met you, I hated you. I love you now, (laughs) but I hated you. And like, it makes sense because I was so hurt and needy at the time. Like I, I think I was still pretty sick, but the thing that was pretty incredible about SOS is like one, we all had to work on a similar project. And so they needed me to like be okay too. And also they had to deal with me regardless of like how we were doing socially, right? Mm -hmm. We had to do scenes together, whether or not like they thought I was weird or too needy or like I was oversharing like two seconds before I still did go on stage with them, right? Like, um, And because we talked openly about this and because we had to keep working on similar projects with a common goal and like we're trying to help other people so the focus could be on that, I had a a community that allowed me to heal and to grow and get better. And whereas a lot of the people I feel like when I went to high school kind of wrote me off like, oh, that's just Mm -hmm. that girl and she's too much. She's got a lot going on. I don't want to deal with it. At SOS, like, I felt like I had really true friends, and I ended up making and keeping and having really true friends because they stuck it out with me and because I was able to grow in a safe place. Because at that point, home didn't feel very safe to me mm-hmm. um, just because of all the stuff that was going on. So yeah, and it's, um, it's crazy, like... Uh, with SOS, and I think this is why SOS was so successful for so long. Mm-hmm. The same issues that the kids in 1990 talked about were the same issues you were facing in 2000, were the yeah. same issues that I was facing six years later, uh, the same issues that kids in the company that ended up buying SOS faced while they were still a company. It, mm-hmm. it, they're not issues that go away, unfortunately. They're just issues that become more complex. And yeah. like you said, like, the ki- people you joined during a very difficult time in your life uh, in SOS potentially saved your life. Uh, mm-hmm. And I know other kids, myself included, SOS saved their lives. SOS stopped me from going off a deep end of just like being a loner. I was in a new area that I didn't want to be in. I was one of like four black kids. Uh, people looked at me because I was from Minneapolis as like this ghetto kid when all I was doing was listening to my headphones and reading young adult novels instead of eating lunch. Like, I don't know how that's ghetto, but okay. <laughs> like I'm sitting on benches reading while yeah. you're all in the lunchroom eating lunch. Like 
but okay. And then like joined SOS and it, it like you said, it was such a unique place. Cause we're a bunch of kids who for better or worse, like had to perform and get to know each other. And since we spent so much time together during the summer, nine to five on tour buses, every Saturday, every Tuesday, uh, if we met up outside, like we spent so much time together, it was a family. Like who, like outside of like your best friends in high school, you don't spend that much time with people without either really liking them or really hating them. You uh, know what it it reminds me of, or it? Mm-hmm. Um, I always kind of liken it to, and obviously these are two very different things, but I feel like people can understand this concept when I say it like this. So preface. Mm-hmm. But um, it's kind of like how people in the military get really bonded because they share such a unique experience that Mm -hmm. only people who have been in the military really understand. I don't know of any other touring teen theater company, uh, except for maybe like touring Broadway shows, but that's not just teens, right? That's Mm -hmm. and. um then you may have just a handful of people in the same age bracket, whereas it was all of us, like 20 to 40 of us high schoolers doing this really, really unique experience. And I mm-hmm. think it's hard to explain to people just exactly like how deep that bond goes to. Yeah. Um, Cause you're, so the cool thing that SOS did for, I mean, if you just look at like theater training, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we had to show up and not only know how to set up for sound in various um, arenas and platforms and performance spaces, but we had to know how to uh, be loud enough, how to capture an audience, whether it was a small audience, a huge audience, whether we had cameras or not, if a mic went out halfway through, if our sound wasn't working, like there's a lot of these impromptu. Oh, and did I mention your cast was never the same? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like you had to know all of your parts so interchangeably that like you had to trust that your teammates did too. And that everyone was going to go where they were supposed to go in order to succeed at what you were trying to do. And that I can't think of anything else like that. And I, I like the theater training that I got in that, in doing that, and also the fact that we did the same show so many times from the touring and the rehearsing. Like when I think of mastery of something, mm-hmm. I think of how we did that for years in SOS, not even realizing that we were mastering a skill. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, I've talked about this with Shane Carly. I want to get your take on it. Uh, how, especially because you had a, I would say you had a very successful college acting career as well uh, at Lacrosse. Uh, how would you describe SOS's acting compared to theater acting? They felt like different styles to me. Mm-hmm. Very different styles to me. Um, because most of the time we, the characters weren't extremely varied. Right. Like mm-hmm. um, there were some sketches like stress where you were playing a day of the week, but usually you're just playing it as a high schooler as Monday. Right. Mm-hmm. You're not like, let me embody what a Monday would be like. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. not like this really in depth. And like if you were playing the drunk driver, you were still assuming that you were 16 or older. Right. Like mm-hmm. there were some variations, but most of it were, were all pretty close to who we were as people and i do think a lot of a lot of other theater environments while you still need to know the basics that we learned in sos which are like listening and responding and and being calm and knowing you're blocking and all of that basic stuff like Mm -hmm. creating a character doing a dialect doing a different time period like a lot of that stuff we didn't really cover Mm -hmm in the theater stuff. And honestly, like, um, SOS had a lot of people who had just never acted before. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. like we were teaching them from the ground up and I think to varying degrees of success. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think 
Yeah, I, 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 it just feels like very different styles to me. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I don't, I'd be yeah, curious to see what they yeah, think. I can, too, uh, but. Uh, so the consensus so far with Carly and Shay, uh, we we determined, at least for us, that SOS was the equivalent of camera acting, where uh, theater obviously is bigger, bolder, because you don't have a camera here to see your motion. And we said that because uh, when you look at most characters outside of the uh, outside of uh, stress and outside of the children's show, there wasn't like there were certain characters that were bigger than life, but for the most part, we needed to play it honestly and more into ourselves. And it works better on camera. Uh, than it does on stage, but it worked for us because we were gearing this to an audience that already didn't want to hear what we had to say. And so if we did it unbelievably or over the top, they would have saw it as like a gimmick. Yeah. And okay. uh, and thinking like, so thinking about it and talking to them, it, it made sense because like when you think about the kids, at least in my time, uh, that it didn't make it or struggled a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. They were kids who were big into uh, production theater. Like uh, when Sue came, she brought in a bunch of kids from like the Hudson theater, St. Paul theater mm-hmm. scene. And if you remember, they didn't stay very long. Yeah. And I remember talking to a couple of them and they just like said, they couldn't gra- like understand this style of acting. And uh-huh. It, it, it could be different for you, obviously. Uh, you you saw it from d- three different stages. And just from my perspective, it kids who were used to a certain type of acting struggled a little more to grasp onto what we needed them to do. I definitely feel like I had kids that were doing a lot of theater outside and... Mm-hmm their tendency was to be very large and over the top, which yeah, in this context just isn't successful. Mm -hmm. Um, I I was thinking to myself that I don't know if I fully agree, like camera acting, but I also, uh, one of the last uh, acting things I was doing in Arizona was I actually led uh, a class for teens at a casting company Mm -hmm. and they did a lot of like on camera work. Mm-hmm. And like uh, in my head, I was like, "Oh, no, that's very different than like <laughs> what you'd actually do." On camera. Yeah. Um, but I know what you mean, mm-hmm. and like, um, I think that it, it's like personal style too. Like, mm-hmm. what you will notice in a lot of children's theater—not um, all of it—I've worked for some really pretty incredible children's theater, but sometimes it is so over the top because they're trying to. F- force kids attention but it also can be kind of condescending and like not trusting them to like understand basic life stuff kind of like yeah i'm gonna look over here and you gotta look at me like Mm -hmm. you talk to kids like that but they're smarter than that yeah you know what i mean you don't have to it's one thing between like comedy and one thing like overplaying it for for my preference Mm -hmm. um but if that's if people are coming from like classic children's theater, I think a lot of it is more like that. Like, hey, you got to be big, you got to be loud, you got, you know, and yeah, what we were doing, if you did that, you'd be kind of mm-hmm. dead in the water because people mm-hmm. would continue to throw things at you, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and like I said, uh, obviously there was, there was roles for that. And then we had the kids' choice, which was mm-hmm. about being uh, bigger in life. I remember uh, one of my favorite experiences in being over the top was Jake Newman came back to do a show and we were doing the, uh, give her a pencil scene. Yeah. Uh, and he, the crowd, he was just so into it and he got the, the kids so into it. They were jumping up and cheering, uh, during it. And like, we spent like three to four minutes from the give her the pencil scene to the end of the scene. When it normally takes like thirty seconds, we spent like yeah. three minutes in slow motion and <laughs> the chariots and everything. It was just so much fun, and like those are experiences that you don't, you can't ever replicate and you can't explain to people because while performing, like performing in general, gives me such a rush and such a great feeling that I haven't been able to find anywhere else. Uh, mm-hmm. SOS's performances in front of kids that 
you know you're going to talk to after yeah. uh, is was different than performing for people who paid to come see you, uh, like in college or professional. Yeah. Well, there was something like really fun about having to earn your audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that you couldn't just autopilot. You couldn't just like, you had to not only listen to your scene partners, but also to really feel that energy from your audience and be able to adjust and uh, change what you're doing and bring your fellow actors with you too, like in some cases. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like I, for me that was just really fun and like moving and yeah the purpose behind it too I think you touched on about Mm -hmm. like some of these kids were getting some of these social messages where they would be in an audience and all of a sudden feel like they weren't alone anymore Mm -hmm. or like someone is saying this out loud and this is happening to me, but I haven't been able to really talk about it. And like that kind of stuff I felt like happened fairly frequently for our audience members. Cause they yeah. didn't, it was a school assembly. They didn't know why they were there. They didn't know what we were going to talk about. Um, yeah. And all of a sudden the lights go off and these flashlights start going <laughs> and signs are like, what is going on? And then this big kid comes out yelling at you to cheer. What is, what is going on? Uh, yeah, I like thinking about just like that was one aspect of pregnancy that I always for, forget about that I haven't even thought about in so long was like we had opener and the lights and everything. Now we got the crowd to be like, oh, oh OK, what's going on? Yeah. And then coming out as the first person they see talk to them yeah. as JD was my favorite thing because I control the show. Yeah. Like if I come out and I and I run it and they love it, they're into the show. Yeah. And but there there was times where I come out and they didn't react and like like you said, you had to earn it. And if you can't, yeah. like it's just one of those shows. Yeah. But like I remember a time, I don't know if it was John or Jake or someone, and they just like it was a bad day. Mm-hmm. And they came out and like only did the intro once and like didn't really get crowd participation and it just <laughs> It, the show you could feel the energy of the crowd and show just like dip, and those are just yeah. the shows where you get back on the bus and you're just like, "Why did we even like this was more harmful than helpful today?" <laughs> like these kids are gonna be like, "All this was a joke. Why were we here yeah. for forty five minutes listening yeah. to these kids?" <laughs> yeah, it's. Ugh. I mean, that's kind of what happens if you have an audience that doesn't want to be there. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, mm-hmm. and honestly, where else do you have that experience? Like, unless you're like, what is it called? Busking? Yeah. Like on the side of the street, then you're just, you know, accosting people with your music and hope, you know, like, hopefully <laughs> they like it. Um, but same thing gets kind of what we were doing is we were yeah. coming into their school and like presenting and like, hopefully mm-hmm. someone got something out of it. and. I think they did. Like, um, I do think being more removed from like the company and time has passed and maybe it's like the mom thing, but I, I've come to a conclusion that SOS, I think was even more for the kids in the company than the audiences we performed mm-hmm. for. Yeah. 100%. Um, and you know, you, you could not have convinced me of that when I was uh, in the company. <laughs> Like, I was like, no, we're helping people. Like, I know I, I am talking to people. Like, we're bringing them resources. Like, I know. But when I talk to people that have been in, in SOS, like, as actors and worked with the company, those are the people who have had, like, a lifelong change mm-hmm. because of the company. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was just so special. Like, I, yeah, I have so many like flashes of good memories with people like um, uh, you were talking about JD and I don't think you ever did this during your time, but the year that I started, they were doing a sketch called abstinence still. And you, okay. Yeah. So uh, I don't, it's been so long since I've read or seen that sketch, but Mm. part of the uh, setup at the beginning was it's like uh, an, 
angelic voice, like like an elevator music kind of, and he puts them on hold and they're talking about their dreams and like how if you um, make uh, a choice to be intimate with your partner and there's natural consequences that come with that choice sometimes, like how it would affect your life. And um, Leslie and Derek were my interns. So often they were the ones doing that piece. Mm-hmm. And his dream was always like Heisman Trophy. And he'd like do like the the like pose and like it was just very um, charismatic and funny. But Leslie for a while was doing this and I I still so I'm still friends with Leslie but I thought she was like the coolest <laughs> girl I've ever seen and she's this little petite brunette she's so funny she her dream was that she wanted to be a singer like Christina Aguilera and like <laughs> and so she would like uh take a microphone and like badly sing to Jeannie in a bottle and at one point uh I don't know whose idea, maybe it was Leslie's idea, and we tried this for a while, it just didn't work consistently, <laughs> but she had a, a put Velcro on a button-up shirt so that when she had the dream sequence, she would, like, tear the shirt off and it'd be, like, the sparkly tank top, and oh my god, the guys in the audience literally, like, sometimes would stand up, because <laughs> she'd, like, slide on her knees, like, towards the floor mics, and it was, like... Like, and then he'd have to, like, try to fight her for the microphone to, like, mm-hmm. end that bit. And, like, it's stuff like that where I get flashes of that. And I just laugh to myself. Or I think about, like, in JD. Because mm-hmm. I was with the company, I think, like, eight years total. Mm-hmm. The amount of pickup lines I have heard from that sketch from various, like, individuals. Like, there's still some that just, like, crack me up. And, like... uh for me, it's Luke because he's was I was so close. To, I'm still still close with him, but mm-hmm. um, you know when your friend does a joke and it's funnier because they're your friend. Yeah, like yeah. so, yeah. I was like trying to not <laughs> laugh, and I I don't think I'm unfunny, but mm-hmm. like SOS always had so many talented fun people that I swear to God, I just kind of relaxed into my role as the audience member in the social group because they were so hilarious. I just got to sit and like be entertained and laugh at them all the time. Mm -hmm. And like, Luke's like, well, I think you forget like that. You're funny too, Jenna. I was like, well, I mean, (laughs) I'm no Luke and Adam. (laughs) (laughs) Like, okay. Speaking of that. So when I joined us SOS, Mm -hmm. all I heard about was you, Brandon, Luke, Derek, all these amazing actors, these large, like legends. Yeah. And, and so my favorite part of being part of the group was touring. Yeah. And you got to experience it in three different levels as yeah. an actor, as an intern, and uh, as a director. Can you, uh, just, you know, talk about touring from different perspectives? Okay. Um, well, I mean, I think actor and intern can kind of overlap mm-hmm. in that, like, you're staying at host families, like, uh, you're usually paired off either, like, by gender or, like, in pairs, and then you're staying at people's houses, having to, like, pack your stuff, making sure you don't lose anything. It was so much spaghetti because everyone wanted to feed us, and it was the easiest thing. Like, I couldn't eat spaghetti for years because <laughs> I was like, okay, I can't. This is too much. Like, um, And, like, the bonding and stuff that happens, and, like, you'd make friends with your host family. Um, I remember, like, uh, I don't remember if this was my internship year or my senior year, but I got to go on the tour to Vermont. And I remember because like uh, we were all out with, I think with our host brother or sister or whatever. And like they, we were at a restaurant and the waiter was really cute. So we were all like trying to get his number, <laughs> like, you know, but I mean, it's like silly stuff like that, mm-hmm. that, are, you know, just being somewhere new with uh, your friends. It's really fun. Um, as an intern, I don't even know, like, if this is touring specific, mm-hmm. but um, I actually had a hard time at the beginning of my internship year. I don't know if I've ever talked to you about this, but so I have always been very young for my grade. So I had actually just turned 16, I think. 
I was two years younger than everybody else. Yeah. So I must have just turned 16. Um, end of senior year. Is that right? <laughs> How old am I? <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Yeah. I must have like, anyway, mm-hmm. I was young. I was younger than everybody by at least a year. When I got chosen to be an intern, even though I had graduated, I was in charge of people older than me. Yeah. And there are several actors who are like, yeah, I'm not going to listen to you. Um, and I think at one point called me a Care Bearer N-A-Z-I. And like, they're like, yeah, because you're so sweet on the inside, but you want to follow the rules. I was like, <laughs> I'm the intern? I'm supposed to? You know, and thankfully I had Luke there because he, they respected him right away. I was like, I've been the same amount of time. Right. Anyway, um, yeah, so if they were, like, giving us a hard time, basically, like, he would, we would look at each other and kind of know, and then mm-hmm. he would kind of step in and take over. Like, it wasn't a, like, blatant thing, but I was always really appreciative that he was smart enough and mm-hmm. in tune enough with both me and what was happening to kind of have my back like that. Yeah. And the longer... As time went by and I kind of proved myself of like, that I do have a skill set here. Like I can be really helpful. Like I think I got into the groove of it, but it was mm-hmm. definitely harder. And so I think um, touring like that was um, just interesting um, mm-hmm. because it's a weird place to be between peers and friends with people and staff and still being like kind of in the same age range as the peers. Um, but I mean, I had such a great time with Luke, to be honest, like that. Um, even when it was hard, I, I remember just lots of good memories. Mm-hmm. And then as a director, it was just interesting. Like, um, I'm trying to think, like, I really enjoy in general directing. Like, mm-hmm. I like being able to, like, see when someone just really succeeds at something they've been working towards for a long time. I love being able to um, identify like little things that could be tweaking. Like, didn't they say, what did they call? Yeah. They like, I think they called it genocide when I gave notes because like, (laughs) because I had so many notes, but like that was, uh, another benefit for SOS is that like we did the same show so often you were always working towards mastery or to having a better mm-hmm. product learning um and so yeah I did do a lot of notes <laughs> <laughs> I never I honestly never minded it uh, yeah like I I always like I worked I talked to uh talking to Carly and like I don't know if you know but the amount of work I had to put in with Andy to do suicide and to do JD yeah. Like I appreciate it. Like, cause I spent like we would stay after the fact. Yeah. Or work through lunch on those just so like I could convince him that someone <laughs> like me could do it. And yeah. like it, it obviously is all love from Andy. I love Andy. Uh but he he knew the game and he knew someone my size doing a thing about pregnancy in front of judgmental high school kids was gonna be difficult. So I had to be the best to do yeah. it. Yeah. And so the people who obviously didn't like getting notes were people who like just were fine. They thought they were fine at their current level and didn't understand like you're trying to master these roles. You want better. You want bigger roles. You've got to master what we're giving you now. Well, Um, and like for me, it wasn't like I tried to not harp on like if someone like made a mistake, like they know they made a mistake. Mm -hmm. Like they don't need me to like, be like, you suck so bad. Like, why did you do that? Like, they're most people, if they've messed up in a scene, they, they've already been kicking themselves, right? Like, mm-hmm. we all knew those parts and knew it pretty well. So, on the times that you would mess up, it's like, you're like, oh, crap. <laughs> like, I shouldn't have done that. Why did I do that? Um, yeah, so, yeah, it, it's just a very interesting position. And, like, I did miss being on stage somewhat but like mm-hmm. yeah I just I I did like that um, position of being able to enjoy you guys on stage too mm-hmm. um, and then I don't know in my naive 
head, I guess I kind of thought like, okay, we are a nonprofit. The only way that we are going to get survive like the downturn of the economy and like all of this stuff is to have the best show and to have the best show you have to keep trying to get better you have to keep seeing if you can write new material you have to see if you can a- offer extra um assets to schools so like mm-hmm. i kept talking about like is there any can we put together like a packet of resources for the school or after um the show activity kind of things or pamphlets or I mean like what can we do in an educational sense to leave the schools instead of just coming in and out Mm -hmm. um, besides just like hey go talk to your counselor like it it felt at a certain point that we weren't doing enough Um, and I don't know at, at that point the boss was like well, if you want to do that, great. You know, I'm like 21. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think that like, and these are things like hindsight being 2020, but there are also things I know I, I brought up to people. Uh, yeah. But I thought breakouts should have been mandatory uh, after every show that should have been yeah. in the curriculum of SOS is we do these and then we come to a classroom and like you said, we provide information for the teachers to have and we just talk to the kids a little bit about our experience our training and just nothing like super personal we leave that to the teachers to the adults but we get to come in and like be like more than just a figure that was on the on the stage for 10 minutes like they actually see us if if we were going to do that though i think we really needed to have uh, a couple different layers of experts to fine tune what breakouts were. Um, and it, a lot of the times when I would do like breakout stuff as an actor, even though I was prepared mm-hmm. and knew how to bring up topic matter and like what I could say, a lot of the classrooms you'd go into, they'd like ask, you know, one of the actors like, Hey, are you single? Do you want to go to prom? Like, uh, where do you tour? Like, what's your favorite color? Like, you know, or it, mm-hmm. it wasn't getting into like the meat and potatoes that I think you really need to once you, mm-hmm. dr- it's kind of like how it's normalized now after a, a movie or a TV show that discusses some of those harder topics, whether it's teen pregnancy or suicide or whatever, mm-hmm. where they're like, okay, if this hits close to home, here's a number you can call or like, here's the resource. Let's talk mm-hmm. about it more. Like, um that wasn't the norm when we started, you know, like that wasn't a common thing. So as we have evolved and gotten smarter, uh, I think I, I agree with you that there needs to be more follow-up. I think it would Mm -hmm. have to be, um, a, a little bit more, um, I don't know. I feel like I'm not the expert to structure that, but I, I would want to work with people smarter than me no, to come and that, up with something cool for them. Yeah, that was something that I've talked about too is as much training as we did get, I felt there were certain aspects that there wasn't enough training and there wasn't enough uh, structure. Like we yeah. had the structure, we did the show, we had the structure for how the interns would handle after the show with the like talking about SOS and everything. And then like for breakout specifically, it's the first time we've talked, I've talked about it there really wasn't a structure for the breakouts. It was going to yeah. these classrooms and, like you said, uh, say, hey, we're the SOS players. Uh, and then, what sketch did spoke <laughs> to you? And what then it would kind turn of into, issues do you have issues with here? It turned Please into, let's play me. games. Like here, I know a theater game. Let's play Zip Zap Zop. That is, that's and a great just, follow-up to our suicide <laughs> sketch. And it was, it was yeah. like, can't blame the actors for it because we weren't given the tools no. to be successful in that aspect. Uh, well, so yeah, definitely. Well, and you know, I should, I should also like, I was a director when this was <laughs> happening. So I, I feel like I should um, do as much ownership as I think I can. Mm-hmm. I feel like by the time things were evolving, where it made more sense to do more breakouts, mm-hmm. I think we didn't have the resources and the support and information we needed to really take that to the next level where it needed to be and therefore you get a lot of those like more awkward well we know we need to have a breakout but like and the genius of 
SOS is that it's teens talking to teens, right? Mm -hmm. So like you want to keep that part of the formula, but at the same time, you can't let them fly blind and you have to know like, okay, like what does this look like? Like, do Mm -hmm. these teens want to have more one-on-one conversations? And I think as time went on and um, the power structure at the top of the company changed, I think there was more fear of legal ramifications of possible like, okay, well, what if someone sees our show and then does something stupid? Mm -hmm. Like, can we be legally responsible for this? Or say someone comes after the show, talks to one of our actors, says that they have a plan for suicide. And then we say, okay, like, I hear you. Like, let me take you to the counselor. Let's go walk, like walk in, you know, talk, say the counselor wasn't available or somehow the ball got dropped in that communication. Like what's the procedure for that? And how liable would we be if something bad happens after that situation. Mm -hmm. And I think those are all really good, important business questions that I think you need to have a plan and like insurance coverage. Like, I I, I think that's a very, that's not a like totally out of the blue fear. Mm -hmm. However, when the heart and soul of this whole project is teens talking to teens, if a kid comes to you after a show and wants to be like, Hey, I identified with that character that you did. I'm in trouble. I don't know what to do. If you just are like, Hey, yeah, uh, I can't talk to you by myself. Um, let me go find somebody else and maybe I could get a teacher for you. Or like, I feel like at the end it kind of became that. Whereas Mm -hmm. like before, like when I was acting in the company, we could go and sit with someone and just kind of be a listening ear. Like, I think you never give guidance like that's going to harm. Right. Like, but you could listen. And a lot of times the people reaching out to you choose you because they feel safe with you. And if you try to hand that off or you make it really awkward or uncomfortable because you're worried about the legal ramifications, all of a sudden that's that trust, that safety bond mm-hmm. is not there anymore. And you've got mm-hmm. someone vulnerable who is hurting, who thought they had a safe place to confide in and who suddenly doesn't. And for me, that is worse. So and I, I've been on both sides of that stick too. Like, one of the f- first times someone came up to me, I like, I I wasn't really well versed on intentive listening at that point, mm-hmm. uh, and so I listened, I communicated, and then it got a little too far, and so I like rushed into saying, "Let's go talk to your counselor," and they're like, "No, no, no," and left the room, and I didn't know what to do. Yeah. Uh, and then as I got better and learned. Uh, it got better at it. Like I learned how to intend to listen and how to segue into, okay, like all of this is very important. I'm glad that you trusted me and whatnot. And let's get you. Cause this is more than I at the same age can do. I would go to someone who has power to help change and like it, t- that type of thing to lead someone there. And I do think, uh, like you said, there is a business point of it. Having you, we they did need a safeguard because if yeah. it comes out that someone approached me about suicide or about pregnancy and I sway them to one direction and that direction was harmful, yes, we are liable uh, for anything that happens to that uh, student. Uh, so being protective that way made sense. I think instead of like you said, it, it became I can't talk to you without someone guiding. It, yeah. We should have found a way to work with the schools to have that presence available. Yeah. Uh, which I never saw, ha- at least I never saw happen. Uh, I think they just didn't know what to do. And mm-hmm. like, I don't know if it was me and I'm, and I was like afraid of the liability like that, I would have made it like my top priority. Like, Hey, mm-hmm. this is happening, whether I want it to happen or not. Like I need to find like a process that everyone can follow that allows us to get name and information so that we can get that connected with the school, like 
immediately as much as we can, safe listening skills, like, um, and like if everyone's kind of in partners after the show anyway, and that's just kind of how it's structured, like, mm-hmm. like you, that may off- also offer a layer of protection, but that mm-hmm. weirdness of like, I need to go find somebody right now because I can't talk to you by myself, like, that just made made for a lot of awkward interchanges, at least for me towards the end. But I, I did want to say too, is like yeah. that fear of like being sued and liability and stuff also then started to creep into like the staff and the actors where I had joined as an actor and all of a sudden had this safe space that meant so much to me and like really helped me find myself and get healthy and like have the safe place that I needed um we were getting instructions on the staff of like basically don't talk to somebody about that stuff by yourself like don't give them any advice like don't you know and people I'm sorry are were drawn to SOS because of the subject matter too like a lot of people found that connection because they personally had experience with some of those things. And and so like to not have an on-site counselor, to not have like insurance coverage that would have Mm -hmm. at least allowed us to be kind, empathetic listeners on a human level. Like if someone has depression, like the most like advice for me, it would be like things like taking a walk with a friend like it's endorphins and support and like I'm not going to be like you have to do xyz and advise things that are beyond my skill set. Yeah. But like I could say take a walk and it's not harmful. You know what I mean? Like take a mm-hmm. walk with a friend is not harmful yeah. advice. So like no. so there's got to be a medium in there where mm-hmm. we're still able to offer support for the people that come to us and um that for me was always really hard. Um uh-huh. So I haven't told anybody this, mm-hmm. uh, but a certain person in the company uh, didn't like towards the end my towards the end of my internship that I was doing that. I was talking to people because they still found comfort in me and Hannah, and they would talk to us. Uh, and while we wouldn't give like harmful advice, we would still tell them like you can do this, you can do this. Uh, if you're stressed about school. And SOS school comes first, things like that. Yeah. Uh, and someone found out, I don't know how they found out, but uh, I almost wasn't an intern for the last three months. Uh, they, they like, they basically put out, like, I need to stop doing it or uh, leave the company. Because I, I don't know if a, someone went back to like their parents. Because uh, I know I talked to a couple of people about interacting with parents, and like mm-hmm. from and I told them from my experience with my parents, this is what I did and what I didn't do and what I regret. And for everyone, I said talking to them is probably the best thing you can do. So I'm assuming someone went and talked to their parents, and it didn't go well, and so the parents complained to SOS, and so I got got in trouble for that, and I refused to stop being friends with people and being a shoulder for people to listen to because that was my part of my job like as like you said as much as we're there to help other kids we needed to help our kids first well and even beyond the job like we're human beings that care for these people like to just like shrug them off um yeah like thinking back to how i felt at that time like i actually had uh someone in a church setting that like I opened up and talked to and was like crying and having a hard time because I was sharing personal stuff and they were like so yeah that's great but I don't actually really talk with girls anymore but you could talk to this person over here I had talked to him because he had shared his personal experience that was similar to mine not you know like and so Mm -hmm. then i felt like that was not a safe place to talk to and so watching that kind of happen to other kids like was upsetting to me Um, i think the thing that was most upsetting like you were talking about like uh 
liability and if if that was a major concern it should have been the top of your to-do list i felt like the top of the to-do list and like it get it it's a sos was a business but a lot of these emails we would get and stuff were used as propaganda to push what we did uh yeah i remember them reading letters yeah and I found I didn't like that at all. Even in the video that you, like, I didn't like that aspect. Those letters, I don't care if they, like, it just, it shouldn't have been done. It, we wanted to pride ourselves on helping people and being private and being a resource. That's not how you be a resource by no. airing people's stuff or using it as a marketing tool and i just didn't like it i still don't like it and that it seemed to be the priority was how can we turn our helping into marketing well so i want to say for like people that aren't us and weren't like going through it at the time like Mm -hmm. so while i was in college there was a shift in uh, upper management and a lot of changes came with that as it does when new management comes in. Um, And I think for me, that was when a lot of the things that I just didn't really agree with started happening. Um, I am a why and why not person, meaning I always want to ask, well, why can't we do this? Or like, oh, why don't we do this? Or like, always looking for ways to challenge and better improve what we are doing. Um, And the new management was more like, uh, no, you do it because I say so, which just meant we butted heads a lot. Um, And when I started working full-time as the associate director, um, I was fresh out of college. So I was like 21 and uh, it was my first full-time job. And I think in that way kind of made me more vulnerable because I didn't know what to expect. And you couple that with this is a place that I felt safe for a very long time. I had been working with them, not only the internship, but I, in college, some summers would come help. At one point, I quit a show that I got in college because they were so low on actors they needed help to cover the shows. So I uh, dropped what I was doing for the show that I had committed to at college. And ironically, the girl directing that actually used to be an SOS. So she she was like, okay, I get it. Like, it sucks, but I get mm-hmm. it. Um, and so then I was touring again for a little while in college. Like, I, this was a place that not only I felt safe in, but I had been open about my personal issues with like depression and stuff since I started. Like the oversharing that happened while I was in 10th grade, as I got healthier, turned into more of like educational stuff. Mm-hmm. But that I was very forthright and like um, they always had me do the education piece on like the depression stuff. Like they took advantage of in that way, right, of my mm-hmm. experience to use it towards education, which was fine with me. Um, however, when I started to work full-time for them, I was promised after three months health insurance and they never gave it to me. And I had been on, um, meds. Um, I had uh, some personal stuff going on, uh, in college that was really hard. And then, um, was in not a super healthy relationship, uh, as I was coming out of college, basically I needed to be able to check my meds mm-hmm. and to not have insurance, to not know if you could afford to have your meds checks just meant that I didn't go. And I started getting sick. Um, when I asked for things that were like reasonable accommodations, in my opinion, which were like things like, hey, it's really hard for me to be, I'm, a, I'm an outgoing person. It's really hard for me to be isolated and at home all during the winter. Like, can we meet in the office and work from the office? The other two people in my position both had full homes, whereas I had a apartment. Mm-hmm. So my bed was right next to my workplace. And that was all the space I had. 
Um, and they did not want to go into the office because it was more convenient for them to work at home. And at a certain point, I was like, well, can I come to you? <laughs> like, can I just bring my laptop <laughs> and not be by myself? And they're like, well, you could go to a coffee shop. There's people there. And it's like, um, that's not yeah. really what I need. But also, like, I was, like, young 20s. I didn't know, like, what I could ask for or like what was reasonable and all of this um and so finally like I was having a really hard time um and my mom was like uh so I was working at the front desk at her school to make money because haha just so you know I signed up for that job uh, because I was young and dumb, did not know the salary. And I'd always heard it was the same salary as like a first year teacher. They meant a first year teacher in 1990. It was 10, 10 an hour salary. Mm-hmm. And they had me working sometimes 80 hours a week when we were touring. When I did the like when I added everything up from summer and the overnights and all of that, when I averaged it, it was 40 hours a week. But when I talked to the new management, they were like, no, you need to be working a minimum of 40 hours. In fact, I want you to track every hour that you are making, like that you are working and let me know when you are working. And then they would email me at all times of the day. There wasn't really good separation between personal and business. And like, as I said, I didn't, I couldn't have my health care, <laughs> you know, which I need to be healthy. Um, so I was at, I was working the front desk and my mom came and I had lost a ton of weight because I wasn't eating. Um, and I just, she could tell I was not doing well. And she was like, you know what? I don't care if this isn't covered. You need to go to the hospital. Like you're not doing well. And took me to the hospital and obviously like had to let work know. Um, I get discharged, like they have re they've changed my meds. Things are hopefully going to improve soon, uh, you know, but those things are time process. And um, when I got back, they said I was not allowed to come back to work until I got a signed doctor's note saying that I was safe to work with youth and teens. And, um, it was one of the most like hurtful things yet that they had done to me. There's more. Um, but for people who don't really know, like that's not really how depression works. Mm-hmm. And that's not really how my history of depression worked for sure. Like at most I was a danger to myself. And even then I didn't have like a plan at that point. It was just, it was just really bad. And um, so then I couldn't go back to work until I went back into the hospital. You know, and I'm mortified too, like to have your place of work being like, you might not be safe. Like, and we teach about depression. We, we educate about this. So to have such incorrect inaccurate mindsets like Mm -hmm. was a lot and then after that they were really interesting with me so they wanted me to help lead a creation of the new depression sketch but they said do not allow any of your personal stuff in there okay thank you you're right. I will keep this professional. Like, you know what I mean? Like, okay. Yeah. Up until this point, we have been openly talking about this, using it as part of their education. But you're just being like, no. And they're like, well, we don't want to talk. Of, we don't want you to tell anybody what's happening because we don't want to give anyone any ideas. I'm just like, well, don't mention suicide because then it might. One, I did not have an attempt at that point. Yeah. Like, I've only had one. It was when I was 14, um, just to clarify. But, like, two, again, that's not how it works, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's if, if you mention it, that, you know, if anything, sometimes people need it to be asked directly, like, do you have a plan? Like, are you thinking about this? So that they can get the help they need. So, like, there's a lot of things that were just, like, 
inappropriate and offensive, right? Especially because I was in that situation because I didn't have health insurance that they promised me as part of my contract. Thank you guys for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. This is just part one. There is another part coming. Uh, If you enjoyed it, make sure to uh, follow us, subscribe, anything like that, wherever you're listening to the podcast on for part two. uh, It has been a blast so far talking to Jenna. I hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, As always, follow us anywhere you find podcasts. Follow us on YouTube, Twitter, the whole nine. We're everywhere. Uh, And until the next episode, deuces. Thank you for listening to Hypothetically Sound. We hope you enjoyed the episode. All episodes can be found at hypotheticallysound.podbean.com as well as on Apple, Spotify, and Pandora. For full unedited video versions of the podcast, please visit us at youtube.com slash hypotheticallysound.